0: We will continue on with our gathering. We're going to move to a time of hearing from Scripture. And so uh, I'll invite Jamie back up here. She's already up here uh, to read one of my favorite passages uh, starting in Colossians chapter 2 and through chapter 3.
1: Since you died with Christ to the way the world thinks and acts, why do you submit to rules and regulations as though you were living in the world? Since you have been raised with Christ... Set your, set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put off, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature—sexual immorality, moral corruption, lust, evil desire, and greed— which is idolatry. The wrath of God is coming upon disobedient people because of these things. You used to live this way when you were alive to these things. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie or be false with one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with, with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In this image, words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, circumcised and uncircumcised, slave and free, mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. Put on, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved,
0: Thank you, Jamie. I very innocently said, who wants to read the Scripture this morning, but didn't tell anyone that it has, the wrath of God is coming on disobedient people? Thank you, Jamie, for reading the Scripture this morning. All right, so we find ourselves in Easter season, and Christ has risen And we are in uh, Act 4 of our big story in just a few weeks. We will move to the final act, Act 5, when the day of Pentecost happens. We'll explore the early church and all the way through the rest of the story uh, into the book of Revelation as we wrap up uh, the whole look at this big enough story we've been sitting with for almost an entire year now. But right now we're sitting in the Easter season. We're asking ourselves, what does it mean for resurrection to have implications on my ordinary life my daily life what does it mean for resurrection to show up in my story and in this life and last time we were here we were able to witness baptisms This sacramental participation in the death of Christ, we descend into a watery grave and then are raised with Christ uh, into a wholly new sort of life. And this seems to be the pattern that is at the heart of Christian spirituality, that we die with Christ that something new with Christ might rise again. And we want to take some time to explore that here over the next few weeks. Uh, Throughout the time that we've been looking at this big story, we've alluded a few times to this idea of the false self or the self that is uh, one way of being in the world that is centered on ourself. It's that selfdom language we used in Lent, as opposed to the other way of being in the world, which is the king at the center of my life. It is the true self. It is the Christ self, the self that is hidden with Christ and God. So we have these two ways of being in the world. And I want to take a minute and just dig into this idea of the false self a little bit more, and it may be helpful for us to give ourselves a sense of what is the false self, False self. So I'm going to rely on some characteristics that are given to us by Robert Mulholland in his fantastic book, The Deeper Journey, which is one of my favorite books on uh, the, the journey of Christian spirituality. And a lot of what I talk about today is going to be inspired by uh, Dr. Mulholland's work. And so what he describes here is that the false self is a way of being in the world that is marked by being fearful and defensive possessive and protective, manipulative, indulgent, distinction-making, and destructive. This is a self that wants to be God and therefore is at odds with God. It is a self that wants to be king and therefore resists any notion of another kingdom, right? Sometimes this false self finds religion, and, uh, and, and it has God talk introduced into its vocabulary, but nothing really changes at the heart right? And in this case, what we get is actually a religious false self, Dr. Mulholland says, which is only served to insulate us further from an actual transformative encounter with God, because now I have religious language that I can use to justify being fearful and defensive and possessive and protective and manipulative, right? And so we've all seen evidence and, and examples of that. Without Profound transformation into the image of Christ, this is how we show up in the world. And it's how everybody else in the room shows up to the world as well, right? It's not what is most true about us. If we rewind back to Genesis 1, we remember that far deeper than any of these things, there is that spark of the image of God that you and I were created in. It is what is most true about us. But then in the fall, all the rubble and shrapnel of sin piles up over us to where we hardly see that image of God shining through anymore And so we start living from these lesser ways of being fearful and defensive and possessive, right? And so this is how we show up in the world short of transformation to the image of God. In the New Testament, there are different words that are used to describe this sort of thing. Paul's favorite is the word flesh, right and he says you know uh, over and over in his letters he talks about living from the flesh or putting off the flesh but there's other language too in another one of Paul's letters he uses this contrast of the outer nature which is wasting away versus the inner nature which is being renewed day by day there's other places where we get this idea of the old man or the old self versus the the, the new person that is coming to life in Christ so regardless of the idea uh, regardless of the language the idea seems clear that this is at the heart of the Christian life, to be reshaped more and more each day into the image of Jesus. This is what this Christian life is all about. Here's how Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 3, and we just heard Jamie read this, but I want to look at it again. Paul says, do not lie. In the Greek, the word here is pseudomai. Uh, it's where we get the, the, the word pseudo, right? So how it's translated in English is don't lie to each other. But I think what Paul's doing here is talking about something far deeper than just don't tell fibs to each other. He's saying don't show up falsely from this old way to one another, seeing that you have stripped that old self off with its practices and have clothed yourselves with a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. We are being renewed back into that image of the creator, which is how we were created in the first place. Right? So we're being brought back to how God always intended our lives to be, but that's going to take some renewing, some renovating, some remodeling now because we've gotten awfully comfortable with the false self. And that's the problem is the false self is really stubborn. It's pervasive. It's deep-seated. We don't just decide one day, "Ah, I just won't act like that anymore. Or maybe we do, but we find often it doesn't work very well. This stuff is deep in us. This is the water we swim in, and it's how we know how to swim. And unless I am doing all of these fearful, defensive, possessive, destructive, distinction-making things, I just am afraid I'm going to drown. I don't know how to survive at all without living that way. And so how then can we say yes to God, who invites us to live from a wholly different kind of reality, who invites us more and more to let go of the false self that we might live from the new self, the Christ self, the true self that is hidden with Christ in God? We get some help for this uh, with a pattern, and it's a pattern that Paul uses over and over. We're going to look at it from Colossians, but he does this exact same pattern in Romans chapter 6, and essentially this pattern is like a Cliff Notes version of the entire theology of spiritual formation that Paul gives us in the New Testament. Here's the pattern. He says, since you died with Christ, and then he goes on, since you were raised with Christ, put off therefore and then put on therefore. And so this pattern, this sequence, is seems to be Paul's one sermon. You know, every preacher has one sermon. They just do minor variations on it every single time they talk. You all have noticed this, right? Well, Paul has the same thing, right? This is what he's talking about over and over and over. There is this pattern in which we die with Christ, and then we are raised with Christ, and in light of this new life with Christ, there are certain things that no longer belong, certain ways of being that are no longer congruent with the risen life in Christ, and I am called, therefore, to put some things off of me and instead to clothe myself with new ways of being. That is what the spiritual formation, Christian life is all about. It is the journey of the Christian life. It is the incremental steps we take toward wholeness, toward holiness, toward formation, toward being more like Jesus. This is both the pattern of the entire Christian life, right? So if you looked at the moment you, you, you meet Jesus, you have that conversion experience with Jesus all the way to the end of your Christian journey, this is the great pattern. But it also is the pattern that plays out in any area of unlikeness to Christ. So if I notice in myself a place where there is a lack of ability to trust God, Where I am living from that fearful, defensive, excuse me, uh, distinction-making self, that is the place where I am invited to go, God, where are you inviting something to die? Where are you inviting something to rise? What no longer belongs in my life that I am convinced I must have or else? What am I being invited to clothe myself with instead, right? Right? And so this is a a way for us to figure out, how do we get in on this? How do we cooperate with God? Whenever I notice those points of unlikeness to Christ, this is a place where we can see this pattern at work. It is God's work to do, but we have the option to say yes to God, to cooperate with God. And so this is the pattern, and the pattern starts with death. (laughs) This is how Paul starts it. He says, since you died with Christ... If you read Paul's letters in the New Testament, in just four short books that are the beginning of his letters, he uses the word death 35 times in a matter of just a few pages. Why is Paul constantly talking about the centrality of dying as a notion of what the Christian life is all about, right? And I think what Paul is saying is that for the false self to yield to the Christ self, we must have an encounter with the death of Jesus, And so for Paul, that is the first and most foundational step in how the false self experiences healing. It's why he says in 2 Corinthians 4, we are always being given over to death. In 2 Corinthians 5, we are convinced that one has died and therefore all have died. In Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. In Romans chapter 6, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? When I think of baptism, I think of a joyful, celebratory sort of day where we have been baptized into new life, and certainly that is true. But what Paul says is first of all, the baptism is a baptism into death. What does that mean? What does it mean that as I took baptismal vows to Jesus, it involves being caught up in a death event? What does that mean? And so Paul seems to say, this is the first way that we come alive is actually to die. It is the death of all that previously defined me. The detachment from all lesser identities and lesser dependencies is the doorway that opens up to countries of new life. It is the gateway. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I am the gate. I am the gate that you are to walk through. And if you think about Jesus, he's always cross shaped. And so what does it mean to come to the gate, Jesus, and the only way to walk through it is to take on this kind of cruciform posture. It is a a cooperation, a participation in the death of Jesus just to enter into this life. The cross-shaped one says, I'm the gate. To enter in is the way that we take up our cross and follow Jesus. But then also that same one says, and it is also true that I am the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. It's like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's attesting to two realities that feel contradictory to us at the same time. But what seems to be true is that for a new way of life to emerge, the old way of life must die. And so Jesus invites us into the gate that is himself. And he asks to share a meal with us. In those places that we are most estranged from God, the places we are most unlike Jesus, it is there that Revelation 3.20 happens. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would hear my voice, I will come in and we will share a meal together. This is the, the wonderful invitation except for the fact that it's terrifying. Because if Jesus wants to speak a deep word of truth to that place in my heart, deep truth there feels like terror to the false self, the self that is convinced of that which is not true, right? And so this is God's presence in our life coming to us, but it is no small thing to open up to God in those kinds of places. We are talking about the places of deep shame or deep fear or deeply living from lesser stories, and it is our survival strategy for life. And it's there Jesus knocks and says, I have better news for you, but to open up to that is a participation in the cross. It is a following into something that certainly means something about what we know of life must die. And we are hardwired to do only one thing with death, and that is run away from it as fast as we possibly can, right? This is how we respond to death. Uh, I don't want any part of death. Something innately inside of me says, no, thank you. I don't want that, right? So we avoid it at all costs. If my dead way of life isn't working, let me medicate it some more. Let me double down on it. Let me try harder. Let me hustle more. Let me stay busy. Let me pray longer. If I feel like this old way of life is becoming lifeless, let me try to resuscitate it. Let me ask Jesus to baptize that old way of life by praying that he will bring it back to life again, right? If we're honest, Sometimes even our prayers involve trying to get God to keep elements of the false self on life support. Yeah. Right? This stuff that I don't want to let go of, and so I'm praying, God, come bring life back into that place. We ask God to revive life in a place that actually God intends to die, that life may be born. It's no surprise then that we can end up, I certainly have experienced, ending up on the one yard line of something that feels like transformation for a long 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 time because that final push across the goal line involves a death and i don't want to die right and so we resist in these places it is not always jesus agenda for us to live Jesus is the life. He's the resurrection and the life. He says, come to me. Abundant life is in me. But it is not always his agenda for every part of my life to continue to go on flourishing because some of it is the old false self that must fall away if the Christ self is going to rise up in me. If we think about the story of Lazarus, it feels like this fascinating picture of this, right? Jesus' good friend is on death's door. And Jesus, who could heal him, just hangs out with his disciples for a few more days to make sure that Lazarus is dead-dead before he goes to see him. Because Jesus doesn't seem to be interested in swooping in at the last moment to save the old day, the old way, the old woman, the old man. He wants something new to rise up in us, and that involves him waiting until it actually feels like a death event has occurred. And, and I don't know about you, like, this is hard. This is the, where the rubber meets the road in following Jesus because sometimes we pray and we cry out to God and we don't understand what he's doing and we ask him to come save us and it feels like he does not. And that's what Lazarus must have felt, right? And there, too, we enter into a reality that what's going on here, if we can believe it, is that a deeper rising must come. And because for the Christian, death always comes before life. That is always the pattern in the Christian story. Death must precede resurrection life. But if we avoid that first step, we never get to the second step at any deeply meaningful level, right? And so we have to enter into this process of saying yes with Jesus, surrender, detachment, loss, lament. I hope you all understand. I'm talking, you know, the 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 spiritual and emotional death. Uh, sometimes it involves real, uh, real suffering and loss. And then we we finally are brought to this place of letting go of that old way that I thought I could not survive without. And that it is there that something new has been brought to life. And we did not do it. It was done unto us. But we just keep showing up to it. That the risen Lord of life may bring new life into that which was dying. And so the false self must have an encounter with the death of Jesus. Um, there's more to say, but I want to just stop there for today. Uh, Next week, we will look at the second part of that pattern, right, that, hey, yes, we are descended into the death since you have died with Christ, but the good news is that resurrection since you have been raised with Christ, and something profoundly begins to change in, in our whole life and in these certain areas of our life, and so we'll look at that more next week. But for the rest of our time this morning, I just want to create space for a minute or two just to converse with God about all of this. This is not just meant to be head knowledge, but to be lived experience. And so I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes. And uh, get comfortable and take a big, deep breath. And would you just hold in your own heart the question where is death and resurrection at work in my life? and see if the Holy Spirit starts to emphasize or highlight one particular place. And finally, sit with the question, what does it look like to agree with God's better story in that area? Lord Jesus, we want to be people who participate in your whole life, and it's scary for us to receive that that involves a dying, because the reality is we are fearful, and we are defensive. We do feel the need to protect and preserve ourselves. Would you help us to trust you that you are not going to let us go, that your story does end in life, and that you are with us even as we descend into the difficult realities of life, like loss and lament and suffering and pain, that through them you are actually clearing rubble to restore the Imago Dei in us.